The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Uh, g'day and welcome to the show. It's hump day. Can you believe the week is half gone already? Boris Johnson, what a grubby little git you are. I didn't like him the first time that I saw him on Top Gear many years ago and thought, what a useless, uh, I can't use the word I was going to use because I'm uh, I'm working. Uh, what a useless individual he is. Couldn't even drive a car, but there he was attempting to do that. And a guy who couldn't drive, but had plenty of theories on how you should drive your car or where you should be allowed to drive it. A man who has no understanding of actually controlling a motor vehicle himself, but uh, apparently, um, well, it doesn't seem to know too much about anything. Uh, certainly doesn't even know how to find a good barber. So uh, maybe you could start there, Boris, rather than insisting on $1 million to be interviewed by someone like Tucker Carlson, uh, where he'll put you on the spot. He'll ask you the hard questions and he won't just let you have a one sided say uh, to defend yourself against claims made by uh, one Mr. Uh, President Putin. Uh, and there he is going into damage control mo uh, mode. But yeah, a whole bunch of them. They want big bucks to do their speeches. Now, Scott Morrison, our former prime minister, absolutely uh, jumping on that bandwagon, the military industrial complex, absolutely offering him all the top jobs that are available. You know that, you know, the, the bag, you know, the bag that goes around. Uh, well, he's doing that. And of course, he waited 20 out of the 18 months that you have to before you can take a job that where it could be alleged that you somehow profited uh, subsequently for something you did earlier, like a favour, for example. How dare they? But now apparently if it's 18 months or more, that's fine. That's how they do it these days. Uh, $60 billion to Ukrainians. And of course, they're getting money from the EU. They're getting a whole bunch more from America. And all that is going to do is uh, make sure that even more young Ukrainian people are completely obliterated by a vastly uh, superior and better trained Russian army. That The army's not going to lose. The Russians aren't going to lose this thing. All of this money shows the sheer desperation of those uh, spending your money to protect their assets in the Ukraine. You could argue it's a bit about, you know, NATO encroachment and whatnot, but ultimately it's all about money. It's always about money. And if you go and have a look at just how much, uh, you know, um, what uh, a very viable country uh, and especially farmland. It has a lot of very viable farmland, uh, resource rich, the Ukraine, and they want it. They want it. And they've got a whole bunch of businesses already to go. There's a list online and I'll find the list uh, later this week and I'll read it to you of all these businesses that are based over in the Ukraine because you do well to have a business running over there for many, many reasons, but uh, just absolutely ridiculous what's going on there. Uh, Elon Musk, as uh, Matt Boylan just told you, uh, nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Of course, he won't get it. The good people never do, but nice to see that he got noticed. And the other thing, and I can't believe two of these I was going to talk about anyway, the uh, story about dementia drugs doing more harm than good. If you know anybody who has dementia and you have watched the decline, the rapid decline of anybody with dementia, and um, my my mate, more than my mate, basically he was, uh, my, you know, kind of like my daddy became over time, um, 
and I'll say his name because a lot of people already know Carter Edwards. Uh, he's the guy that did the Torman's Paint. I did it my way. Ad. He was my mentor on radio. We became the closest of friends. We, we'd commute to work, you know, two, three uh, times a week, and we lived very close to each other and used to hang out in the week. And a man who uh, was physically very, very fit. I mean, had six pack abs uh, in his late seventies. I mean, seriously, did weights. And then all of a sudden, everything just started to go. And from doing a radio show in May two years ago to literally I rock up to see him with his best mate, Roy, of 50 years, and he doesn't know who we are anymore. So to say that any dementia drug, these miracle drugs that are having tremendous uh, success with these people, to go and say they could possibly do more harm than good is ridiculous because there is no more harm you could possibly do than this particular uh, illness does to the person. I mean, the, it kills the person. They may be breathing. They may be there in front of you. They may be someone you physically recognise, but I promise you um, this this will kill them uh, if, if you don't have a drug that can treat it or some sort of therapy. So I would advocate that uh, you try this. If you have anyone that's got dementia, you would absolutely try this no matter what. Now, for those of you in Australia, um, you would be aware of that horrific accident that happened on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And you would have seen the footage. It was a stolen car, had a head-on um, into a van. And if you've got a van, you've got no crumple room. How this guy didn't lose both of his legs, this poor uh, Mr Cheng in the van. And this grub, this absolute grub, Christopher Walker, 21, this guy um, was on drugs. He, he found this guy, the Uber driver, in Sussex Street in the city. He's there fixing a puncture on his Uber vehicle, this guy goes up to him, says, nice car, mate, and basically uh, says, well, you're going to start it for me and I'm going to take it. Uh, he threatened him, and I've got the quote here, get the F away uh, from the car or I'll kill you. So uh, a tremendous young fellow, this Christopher Walker, apparently on some sort of methamphetamine, crystal meth, you know, whatever, ice, I think was what he was on in particular. And this fellow... He finally had his day in court. Now, before I tell you about the day in court, let's have a look at what he did to Mr. Cheng. Mr. Cheng had a whole bunch of medical issues and uh, he was rushed to the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital and uh, just absolutely horrific injuries and three operations, I do believe, three operations. And this fellow, the the criminal, Mr. Walker, he, he didn't do too well himself. He actually had a collapsed lung and was put into a, an induced coma. But when they went to get him out of the car, not only did he attack the people that went to drag Mr. Walker, the criminal, out of the car, he actually went the ambulance drivers as well. He wanted to attack the ambulance drivers. But it's okay. It's okay. It's all forgivable. And he doesn't need to spend a day in jail. Why? Because Judge Justin Smith says it's okay because you know you you were you seem like you were incredibly sorry, and um, you're a victim of drugs, of course. You poor victim, you you poor thing. It's just unbelievable, Christopher Walker. Because mate, his job when you said you felt horrible, and Judge Justin Smith believed that. Well, Judge Justin Smith, that was your job to make him feel even more horrible for being a drug addict, for being a thief for being somebody who almost killed Mr. Cheng in the middle of the Harbour Bridge and for somebody who almost threatened to kill the, the Uber driver. You know, he, so, I mean, he actually said that to him. So this is how soft our courts have gone. And quite frankly, if you're a criminal and you go and steal a car and your excuse is 
I was on drugs and I was the judge or the magistrate. Also, you admit to being on drugs at the time. There's an extra charge. Doesn't get you off. Doesn't give you a get, a get out of jail free card. What it does, it adds to your sentence because that in itself is a crime as well. Unbelievable how soft we've gone here in Australia, but that's how we do it. And for those of you who haven't, I would urge you to type in Sydney Harbour Bridge crash, um, you know, Uber driver stolen, you know, words like that. You'll find the video. It's horrific. And this guy almost goes through the windscreen of the van. Again, if you've ever driven a van, no crumple zone at all. Absolutely horrific. Now, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for yesterday and today in the UK High Court to determine whether Julian Assange will have permission to appeal or whether he'll be extradited to the States. Of course, we're gonna, we were there all day yesterday. We'll be there all day today to let you know what's happening. And today should be the day that we know an outcome. And let's just keep our fingers crossed and hope that that is the case. And we're doing that right here because we're lighting the fuse for freedom at TNT. The latest headlines waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, they've gone mad. They have gone soft as. And uh, I just can't believe that this guy did that, was on all those things, Gemma. And there he is. He gets to walk. He's not going to go to jail because the judge believed he was genuinely remorseful. And because he's a druggie, he should be let, let off and not face the same consequences as somebody who wasn't a druggie, who, of course, wouldn't have done that in the first place. Well, it does seem that we're discussing stories like this with increasing regularity, Dean, doesn't it? The softness of the Australian legal system. But there, I have several stories which I could you know, go and revisit and bring back to the table and talk to you about here in the UK. In fact, we have discussed the parallels between you know, the UK legal system and the Australian legal system when it comes to violent crime. Often people standing up uh, for, for, the, for themselves. And I think I brought that shoplifter story where somebody chased a shoplifter uh, all the way to the end of the road and apprehended him. And then the, the shoplifter completely completely got off free, didn't you? The, the supermarket said, we're not even going to bother pressing charges. And, and the guy said, well, I don't know why I bother. I think he was a retired policeman. He's like, what's the point? What's yep. the point? Criminals just get off. Well, you know, we talk about these parallels between Australia and the UK uh, on, a, on a weekly basis, if not sometimes on a daily basis. It is really, you know, quite extraordinary. But you mentioned Julian Assange there, and certainly it is day two of the hearing. It kicks off in just a few hours' time in the UK. I think TNT did an absolutely sterling job yesterday of bringing together guests from all over the world to, in support of Assange, covering the crowds outside the Royal Courts of Justice. And yesterday, of course, we heard from his lawyer. Today, the American lawyers due to take the stand. So there's not really a lot to add from the material that came out yesterday. But do you remember yesterday, we talked about whistleblowers and I brought you that story about the head of immigration and border control who whistle blew about the private jets coming into the UK and not being checked. And people were just walking off private jets coming in from Africa, coming in from the Middle East. He said there was a risk of criminals, gangsters, sex trafficking, immigration. He said he'd been writing reports and giving them to the Home Office and they'd been going un unread. So he whistle blew yesterday. And of course, Assange that's accused of, of whistleblowing. So he whistleblew yesterday and he leaked uh, the, his, his own report about the private jets. Now, he had a month to go in his top position. He was due to retire next month. He was due to leave the uh, position of immigration and border control next month. And he said he'd done it to protect the interests of this country. He feels very strongly about the sovereignty of Britain. He's a former military officer, former army commander. Um, so he whistle blew. And do you know what the government did yesterday afternoon with a month to go before his contract came to an end? Can I have they a guess? Probably him. sacked him. And did they take yep. away his pension or did, did he? Yep. 
Yeah, wow. they, they fired him. They fired wow. him. So that's what you get for whistleblowing because, you know, we were talking about standing up against the system and would Assange do it all again? Did he, reg- I mean, that's why I'd love to ask him, would you do it again, given the price you've paid? This guy stood up against the system yesterday. He's told the truth. He said he's been writing report after report about these private jets coming in. The government's ignoring them. The government yesterday said, well, you're not having that. I'm gonna, and they sacked him. So it's still a cautionary tale about being courageous and standing up for what you believe in because this guy, you know, when you're fired, you are quite often stripped of your pension and all the benefits that go with that position. The government are livid. Um, and apparently it's not the first report he's leaked. He also apparently leaked one about visas for care workers, asylum seeker care workers in the UK, which appeared in another national newspaper. But that's what people do when, 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 the, when the state doesn't listen to their concerns. And this guy was top brass, but he's been fired. He's so, been fired. So, you know. So just to put things in perspective, if you're in Ireland, and you've got a meme on your phone, you could go to jail. If you're in France and you talk badly of mRNA vaccines and gene therapy, you could go to jail. If you're an ex-military person who advocates for your country, you lose your job and possibly your pension. But if you're a druggie who steals a car and then goes and almost kills somebody after threatening to kill the Uber driver that he stole the car from, you don't go to jail because you're genuinely sorry. Really puts our world into perspective doesn't it? It is completely upside down, Dean. We talk about inversion a lot here. You know, if you want the truth of a situation, you look at what maybe the government or the state is saying and you invert it. You want the truth of how society is run, look at those facts you've just outlined and invert it. The world is absolutely mad. I mean, this guy will obviously have a lot of support. He will have the weight of public opinion will absolutely be behind him. But that doesn't that doesn't alter the fact that the Home Secretary stood up in Parliament yesterday and said, absolutely no way. I think there's a red line moment. They're making an example not of him uh, or saying to other people in, in these types of government sanctioned positions and in the civil service, if you leak, you'll get fired. If you tell people what's really going on, you'll get fired. You know, it's a, it's a very... Uh, strategic move by the government. It doesn't stop the fact that these private jets are still coming in unchecked from these these hotspot places, these high risk pub, um, private jets. Um, so it doesn't stop the problem that this guy is trying to highlight, but it does stop people talking about it, doesn't it? Yeah. And you notice we always say the government, never our government, because I don't think many people feel as if they are our government. They certainly represent uh, not only a group who is not of us, but a group who seems to hate us intently and want to take everything we have and just turn our entire worlds up on a, up on its head. And it really is bizarro world. If anybody wanted to become a conservative politician, all they'd have to do is go and read a BBC or an ABC here um, article, uh, read it, get the gist of it, stop, spin it on its top, present that, and you would immediately appear to be a conservative because that would mean you're back on the right side. They just get everything and flip it upside down, give you some sort of uh, paint it up, you know, dress it up nice so you feel good about it uh, because it's helping something or something or, you know, know, whatever. But the whole point is they'll sell it to you, but at the same time they're really just taking a knife to your back. Yeah, and just uh, just to illustrate that point, you know, you talked about Boris Johnson there at the top of the hour, and you talked about, oh, he can't even get a decent haircut. and can't. Even, um, that's deliberate because he's got links to the royalty, George II, and, 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 and you know, all of the kind of, he he plays up that buffoon image with the hair because it's the same hair as George III and the, the mad prince and all of this stuff. It's all calculated. It's all to kind of, you know, say to us that I'm part of the establishment. I'm, I've got links to royalty. I, I, I rule over you. It's a very deliberate move. And um, I think he, I think he's even talked about it in the past. But that haircut is no mistake. That haircut is a deliberate move to say I'm one of them and I'm not one of you.
Well, it may not be a mistake by him, but when it comes to a culture and fashion sense, it's one of the biggest mistakes I've ever seen in my life, Jim <laughs> It is rather well, horrific. <laughs> but having said that, your hair looks wonderful, as it always does. We'll be continuing, as you will uh, most of today, uh, the Julian Assange um, thing that's happening. And, wow, I'm just, you know, I was up... It's all I think 11 o'clock my time last night, just watching the coverage, hoping there'd be some sort of outcome, you know, yesterday. Of course, there wasn't ever going to be. Uh, today's going to be the day. Let's hope that uh, it works out really well because I can't even imagine how what he, him and his family must be going through. It's really horrific. It is. Let's see what the American lawyers say. And we, I don't know if we will necessarily get a result today just to wrap this up, because sometimes with hearings, there are a lot of legal points to consider. Uh, and judges, there are two high court judges on this, and they may go away and consider points of law, because that's entirely what the whole case is being uh, heard on, is points of law. Is it unlawful to have him extradited? Uh, this is where the, the sticking point lies with the treaty between the US and the UK, uh, all kinds of things. So they may go away and consider the finer points before they come back with a verdict. Who knows? Who knows? It's not, it's not a verdict, actually. It's not a trial but with their decision their decision let's see and let's all keep our fingers crossed for him yeah and how so does he has to have he has to be allowed to appeal i mean it should just be an automatic appeal but uh, that's the world that we live in of course uh i think we we pretty much covered how he got there and why the world is on its head and we'll continue to do that here at tnt and point them out for you not, not that we need to shed any kind of light on them here Gemma, because we very much preach to the choir here we've got so many ter terrific people hence why i bring up the point if you're there listening you need to listen to tnt uh get some friends who may be the ones who sit on the fence have them listen to tnt in the car with you and it will wake them up slowly as the more they hear this type of stuff the more they'll wake up Thank you, Gemma Cooper. You are absolutely phenomenal. And of course, you'll be back uh, in subsequent hours to cover all of that. Uh, we'll be back with Billy Tikahika right after this here at TNT. TNT's Misty Winston. The Australian Parliament recently, I think it was yesterday, passed a motion 86 to 42. Uh, it was put by independent MP Andrew Wilkie, who is a longtime very vocal supporter of Julian Assange. Uh, and this was about, it said that the incarceration for extradition of Julian Assange has gone on for too long. The UK and USA should bring the matter to a close so that Mr. Assange can return home to his family. Um, and Wilkie tweeted out, I successfully moved a motion to recognize the importance of bringing Julian Assange's extradition to an end. The government voted for it in an unprecedented show of political support for Julian. The US must heed these calls and drop the extradition and that is uh unbelievable kind of misty winston on today's news talk tnt affordable housing we can build that sustainable housing we can build that at mit modular we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design cost and functionality our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. 
human mind is like a computer. No matter how efficient it may be, its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. And the other day, I'm I'm at work and I get a phone call because I do other things other than this. I get a phone call from my good friend, Senator Malcolm Roberts. He says, mate, there's a guy you absolutely have to talk to. And he's going to be terrific. I'll put you on speaker and I'll introduce you to him. And he says his name is Billy Hikahika. And I start laughing because Billy and I know, know each other very well. We've, we've spoke to each other. And a man that always has, has a, a place here, if he's ever in Australia, always has a place here, here in my home to stay. A terrific fella. And for those of you who didn't see our last interview, I'll tell you a little bit more about him before we have a chat with him. Billy T. Kahika is a New Zealand Māori. He's an international blues guitarist, a businessman, a former political candidate as well. Now, he attracted national and international media coverage, both as the leader of the New Zealand Public Party and also for his stance on the New Zealand government's lockdown restrictions in response to the uh, whole COVID nonsense. Now, Billy has been harassed by the New Zealand government and the media for his views. He's a family man, he's a pastor, and he's also a documentary producer and presenter. And one of my newest friends, Billy Tikahika. How are you going, my friend? I'm doing very, very well. I'm, I am two days back home after being in the beautiful uh, great southern land itself, Australia, um, having visited uh, Melbourne and then, of course, Canberra, when I uh, was able to spend some time with Senator Malcolm Roberts and uh, what a great man he is. And it was so hilarious because we were sitting there talking and he just picks up his phone and he and he and he dials away and then i heard this voice and i thought i recognize that voice and then he's <laughs> and then senator robert starts he goes you know mate you've got to speak to this guy he's got to be on your show and little did he know that we were already connected so that was a as one of those terrific moments where you know serendipity and all those things align so uh, a fantastic trip um I've got to say, it was hard coming home. Um, we've got beautiful babies back here, so uh, I had to get home to them. But, you know, I love Australia, and um, I can understand why we, you guys have been infested with a whole lot of New Zealanders and Kiwis that are coming over to live in your country. I can, I can certainly understand why. It's, it's funny that you say that because I used to go there every Christmas without fail to New Zealand, and I remember it would have been just before my son was born, you know, and so, like, you know, 15 to 25 years ago, you know, that sort of uh, 1999 to, you know, 2010 type of period. And it was such a lovely place. And I'd go to Auckland, I'd stay at my friend's house at Mount Eden, and it would always remind me of Australia. But if you wound it back 10 or 15 years, and I always question all of my friends here from New Zealand, how can you leave such a beautiful place? But, mate, a lot of them moving up to Queensland, which is, you know, really nice too. But, mate, I think it's all about the people. You know, if you go there, the Kiwis are some of the best people you'll ever meet in the world, hence why I think the bulk of my my very close friends are. Now that we've done that, mate, you got to tell me, speaking about friends, uh, you would have loved Senator Malcolm Roberts. He's about as fair income a guy as you'll ever meet. What kind of progress did you make? Well, I'm I'm very I'm very very pleased to say that um, I'm leading the New Zealand Citizen COVID nineteen inquiry, and uh, I'm a, I'm I'm investigation and intelligence research trained, and um, putting that together is a is a huge job along with documenting it through a, a documentary called River of Lies, um, and one of the one of the things that I think is very very important is to is to conduct international outreach with with civil uh, rights concerned leaders, uh, politicians that are onto what's going on in the world and linking arms with them so that we don't keep on reinventing the wheel, that we can share intelligence and data 
support each other, encourage each other, and uh, just reaffirm time and time again that you, we're not a bunch of nutjob conspiracy theorists. We are actually very, very calmly um, assessing and evaluating the, the the threat to civil liberties and human rights and democracy and the Western world, in fact, as we, as we knew it, um, that we, we are seeing what we are seeing. And so I think it's very, very important that that we do link arms and support each other. I'm very pleased to say that I presented uh, the good senator a mutual support agreement, which is essentially a corporate cooperation agreement uh, that we would both work together to investigate um, the Australian and New Zealand governments and the response to COVID-19. He signed it, we filmed it, we took some great photos. And as you say, he's a fair dinkum Aussie and he's a great guy. He's a farmer, I'm a farmer as well. And um, we had so much in common. I felt like I'd known him for forever. He didn't want me to leave. I had to go and catch a plane. And um, he even wanted to change his uh, homeward bound flight on Friday to stay a bit longer with me. But unfortunately, I had a flight to Sydney to get the catch to catch the one to New Zealand. And but um, the start of a of a of a great mutually supportive uh, arrangement and support relationship. Um, but he's got a great team. These other senators as well that I'm I'm hoping to connect with, like Senator Barbett. Um, and you guys are so fortunate to have such a great man like um, Senator Malcolm Roberts. Uh, leading the charge with the other good senators as well to get to the bottom of what we suspect could be horrendous uh, crimes and decisions against interests and the well-being of both Australian and New Zealand citizens. It's funny that you mention both of them, um, Senator Malcolm Roberts, Senator uh, Ralph Babette, because those two fellows, uh, not just people that I know, because I've run you know, politically at the same time as them, but these are guys who have advocated to try and do at government level what it is you're trying to do at the citizen level. And the reason you're doing it is because they just keep running into brick walls and you get these people, you know, some some other senators we've got here, like Senator Jackie Lambie, who likes to present herself as of the people. But when it comes to things like this, just completely, you know, jumps overboard and votes against, um, for example, Senator Ralph Babbitt the other week uh, wanted an inquiry into the excess deaths. Why would anybody in politics not advocate for any inquiry as to why more people are dying than they've ever died before. To say no to that just um, is absolutely unbelievable. And Billy, if I can just give you this quick story. Um, you know, there was a, a, a woman who uh, I've spoken to several times has made uh, claims historically against uh, Joe Biden, you know, historical sex claims. I subsequently had to go to live in, in Russia and there was a documentary done on 60 Minutes and one of her friends said, yes, she told me she was raped and B, yes, I believe her. And then the interviewer asked the question, so obviously you would never vote for Joe Biden over Donald Trump. And her answer, I almost fell on the floor, was uh, as much as I hate to say, it, yes, I would still vote for Joe Biden. And that told me everything I ever wanted to know. They don't vote for anybody, but they will vote against anything or anyone they've been trained to vote against. And I think once we understand the psychology of that, maybe then we're on our way to possibly fixing that problem. I think you did right. I think going back to that that uh, that member of the federal government that spoke up against something like an inquiry to excess deaths, I think these I think there's potentially um, a, a short list of reasons why they're doing that. The obvious one is that they're complicit to some sort of yep. excuse me cover up as to the circumstances behind why we are seeing excess deaths around the world. Um, they're either complicit to it. Or the other option is they're completely unaware, uneducated, 
And number three is that they don't want to disturb their careers. They don't want to put themselves at risk, reputation, and get branded um, like we've all been branded. And I certainly have been as a conspiracy theorist. And so when you when you distill it down to those three um, possible reasons why they're responding like that, I think it's pretty clear that it is going to be one of those three. And what you got to do is kind of craft your your response to people like that in the way that that um, that you respond to dealing with them. And I think what you got to do is, especially if it's someone who says they're they're for the people and uh, and you know they're one of those braveheart sort of warriors for the people, then you've really got to call them out on it publicly. I mean, there is no there is no human logic that you can apply um, that would explain why a, a member of a parliament would want to block um, any investigation yeah. as to why there are excess deaths affecting a whole lot of Australians. There's absolutely no no, no reason for that. We, we've got the same problem here. We've got two inquiries going on, um, COVID inquiries, and they are about as deep as my as my <laughs> about as deep as my granddaughter's uh, little infant swimming pool. Yeah. Um, and they're not going to go anywhere. We know it, which is why we put together the New Zealand Citizen COVID-19 Inquiry. It's so vastly important. It's so true, everything that you just said. And, you know, that brand, if you will, that they used to call us conspiracy theory theorists over the last four years, that particular brand has uh, transformed into, I think, a badge of honour, one that I think many of us will proudly wear. Because, yeah, we are theorising about conspiracies. We're actually going beyond theorising and proving that they are real. And unfortunately, it's just a shame that the, the actual term conspiracy theorist means exactly, but it's, it's not a negative. It was never a negative. It was only that connotation that came with it because the mainstream media would always apply that to people who were continually right time after time, almost to the point where they appear to be prophets in some cases. Billy Tikahika will be back with you after these news headlines here at TNT. And now, dude, I have huge news. I knew it. Knew it. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. America's famed Dr. Phil has called out gender-affirming care, warning of the long-term impacts of pushing transgenderism on children. Former US President Donald Trump says America is turning into a communist country and a study of almost 100 million people who received the COVID-19 vaccine has found the jab led to greater increases in heart, brain and blood disorders than originally thought. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. I indeed do have with me Billy Titakahika. And we're talking about, because he's the guy who is heading up the New Zealand Citizens COVID-19 inquiry, doing something that he and people over here are doing at the same time. Senator Malcolm Roberts, you know, Senator Ralph Babbitt, and they're all getting together because the government won't do the job for them. The government won't stand up for the people. So the people are standing up for the people and some people in government, but of course, not ever the mainstream political parties. It's very, very sad. And of course, if you want to check out Billy's website, it is uh, nzcci.com, nzcci.com. Billy, uh, mate, I just want to talk about some uh, other stuff like your upcoming work. You must have uh, a pretty full plate at the moment. Yeah, it's incredibly busy. The, um, the the recent release of the River of Lies and New Zealand Scandemic, um, shameless self-promotion going on right now, um, is is really the 
the film documentation of, of an investigation. Um, people can see that at riveroflies.co.nz. And really the, the inquiry, the New Zealand Citizen Inquiry, um, really came about because I, I, I've been investigating this since, since uh, really February, March 2020. So this is a four-year stretch of, of, of investigating this, this matter and issue. And um, so I'm, I'm absolutely involved with, with piecing this together. We're in production for episode two uh, right now. So um, that's happened, that's been knitted together. We've had to change some things because we launched the New Zealand Citizen COVID-19 inquiry last month. We're putting that together um, and incredibly busy with the international outreach program as well. So that's that's speaking with people like uh, Member of Parliament for the United Kingdom, um, Andrew Brigden, um, who's an absolute fantastic guy. Um, it's, and stretching further afield to other leading commentators, experts, political witnesses that I call them, um, to get them involved in this so that we can get a potpourri of commentators coming from various backgrounds. Sometimes they're on the left, sometimes they're on the right, and uh, just honest, you know, honest individuals that are that have kind of done the work and investigated the stuff and, and know that there's problems. So that outreach program is is a very important part of correlating what's happening in New Zealand with what's been observed around the world. It's funny, you just uh, drew, you know, like you've got the whole situation in Gaza at the moment where it's yeah. dividing conservatives, it's dividing lefties, but COVID did the exact opposite. It brought the left and the right together because it was a health thing. It was really about advocating for our family and our future generations. And mate, so much stuff coming out of New Zealand at the moment, some of the best data coming out of New Zealand. Mate, and I was absolutely mortified and only found about it about it a couple of days after I spoke to you, that the New Zealand government was targeting, uh, you know, vaccinating uh, young Māori children. And it really upset me quite a bit when I came across that particular story. Yeah, Māori and Pacific Island children in New Zealand, have, and, and in fact, families in their entirety have been targeted. Um, and they've used sort of uh, um, economic targeting to do it. I mean, promising people that if they go and um, go and get a jab, they're going to get a $100 supermarket oh, value which yeah. they buy food. So, you know, they're targeting the poorest communities um, with these types of campaigns, you know, sort of predicated with the with the backdrop of a message that it's safe and effective and you don't have to worry about it. But we have seen, um, especially in, in the Māori community, which I'm a part of, my dad's Māori, my mum is, is Irish and French um, ancestry, and I, I get to look at what's going on and the deaths that we have um, reported through our through our families, our, we put the Maori word for family as Fano. It have been just horrendous. And even today, we had a a very well known um, uh, Pacific Island member of Parliament collapse and die at an event this morning, which is a great tragedy. Um, he was a, a a very very strong advocate for COVID vaccination, <clears throat> and here you have a forty nine year old fit Pacific Island man. Um, drop dead for no reason. And it, when you look at the global picture, it's one that's repeating itself on auto replay time and time and time again. It's nonstop. We're seeing it all over the place. In terms of, of, of the scene here that we have in New Zealand, we are at the very, very forefront of, of everything to do with um, human rights and civil rights and sovereign rights. Uh, we are right at the front of the queue of the tyr tyranny lollipops, if you like, that they're handing out from our government. As I say to people, We've had a government change, but nothing's changed.
Yeah, mate, and that in itself is rather frightening, but it always points out that whole duopoly, you know, the two sides of the one coin, and it's a, it's a scenario that plays out right across the Western world. Everywhere it's in play is uh, somewhere where they can control the government. And what's even worse, you know, you can vote in a particular political party because you might have one guy in there that you trust. And, of course, under the Australian political system, uh, and even though I didn't trust him myself, uh, Tony Abbott immediately was rolled. You know, as soon as he got in, and then, but then we had all these people saying, "Oh, we had such a good prime minister, a fair income conservative." I had to remind them that he was the guy that had Pauline Hanson put in jail on trumped-up charges about you know fifteen years or whatever it was before. So there's a lot of players in this game. Not all of them are what they appear to be. A lot of controlled opposition, if you will, and the fair income ones stand out. But the fair income ones, you rarely find them in the major parties, but where they either always existed or came to exist because they learned over time, they were squeezed out as well. And we find that in, a, in very much here in Australia, and then certainly I'm guessing you're finding it over there in the end in New Zealand. Yeah, the, look, the, the left and right spectrum is it's an illusion. Let, let's be let's be really clear on that. You know, you've got Helgelian sort of dialectic work happening within, within the halls of power where people think that, well, you know, you're going to vote left, you're going to get this. If you vote right, you're going to get that. And you know, people get into this this um, this game, this tennis racket game, whereby they pass the ball to that guy. He serves it over there, promises that they're going to fix the problems of the caused by the other political party. Yep. But they actually get into parliament and they exasperate those 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 issues to uh, against the interests of the people. And we've seen that here. You know, we've got a new government. It's meant to be conservative, uh, right leaning government. But they're not. Nothing's changed with the climate change tyranny. Nothing's changed with the attack on water, farmers, food supply, inflation, robbing the the middle class of any chance of wealth, helping the people out of poverty, um, which should be socialist issues, as you would imagine. But we've had it worse under socialism, which we had six years under the Ardern government. But we've got this new government that's still going the COVID route. They've just approved the next generation of of uh, Pfizer mRNA injections to arrive in New Zealand in May in time for winter. And so I'm incredibly busy knitting together a campaign to put pressure on the government to say that, look, even if they just applied the cautionary principle of around medical care, even if they just applied that, then they would have to suspend the, the rollout of the Pfizer Combinati or any of them until a full audit of data, excess death data and analysis um, and all those sorts of things, adverse events reporting, uh, analyzed and audited, they need to suspend it until then. And that's my number one priority because, as you say, the kids now in New Zealand are being targeted six months and onwards. And it's just a travesty to imagine that well-meaning mums and dads are going to get their babies injected and who knows what the heck's going to happen to them. And we know that kids have been dying here. We've got the records in New Zealand. We've got 67 uh, mothers that have um, um, had miscarriages within Kui of receiving the jab. And that's only 5% of what we know is, unre is unreported out of the 100%. So I'm really busy putting that together to put pressure on the government. But it's not a left and right issue. The, the people behind the scenes, they've got them both in their pockets. They're funding them. They're doing all sorts of things. And boy, have I uncovered some really nasty stuff that I'm going to enjoy exposing uh, through this inquiry. And also with Senator Malcolm Roberts' help, you know, is also to to build a, a data bank of evidence so that you guys over there can hold those uh, authorities and pe persons responsible for the crimes that have been committed against the Australian citizen. And that's, that's you know, that's imperative that we do that because from there, 
it's going to be green economy it's going to be it's going to be climate change tyranny then they're going to try and collapse everything and then will be the great reset of uncle klaus central bank digital currencies and of course emissions tracing so it's it's not a bright outlook but we've got to remain hopeful and faithful and uh, and be honest and fight this with calm well, I'm hopeful as long as I know there are people such as yourself, Philly Tikahika, out there. And of course, everybody, I implore you to go to the website nzcci.com so you can follow Billy and his work. Billy, thank you so much for coming on the program. And we'll talk again uh, at some point. Absolutely guaranteed. My pleasure. God bless. Thanks so Take much. Care. He's an absolute legend. We've got Elizabeth Hart coming up after the break right here at TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The big question is, why does the United States and why does Australia apparently have leaders that wish to commit national suicide as far as energy goes? Check out these facts. The European Union has 468 coal plants. They're building 27 more. Turkey has 56, building 93 more. South Africa has 79 coal plants, building 24 more. India, 589, building 446. Philippines, 19, they're building 60 more. South Korea, 58 coal plants, building 26 more. Japan, 90 coal plants, building 45 more. But here is the coup de grace. Here is something that makes me wonder that given Hunter Biden had dealings with a Chinese energy corporation and a fossil fuel energy corporation at that, that these people that are actually in charge of the United States are not complicit in all this phony climate war scam stuff. China has 2,363 coal plants. They're building 1,171 more and not a peep out of the United States. What about Australia? You're going to shut down your six remaining plants. All this to save the world? Let me tell you something. What's going on is who's ever in charge of Australia and the United States trying to bring down their own country at the expense of China and the rest of the world. How else can you conclude anything else? This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Sometimes a car comes along that changes everything with innovations never thought possible and features that make you wonder, how did people survive without this? This is that time and this is that car. This is the world's first DWB. Equipped with transparent doors to eliminate reasonable suspicion, whatever that means. A 10 and 2 steering wheel that keeps hands visible at all times. We remove the glove box so there's no confusion about what the driver is reaching for. With a touch of a button, the ultrasonic biometric scanner displays the license and registration of the driver to ensure contactless exchange of information. With no trunk, nothing can be concealed, so therefore, there is nothing to search and seize. To ensure you will never be mistaken for breaking the speed limit, we've installed limited edition airless tires, and we remove the engine because, honestly, why risk it? DWB, the first vehicle of its kind, where the safety feature is the car itself. I have a feeling these are the suspects in question. The two occupants look like uh, the people involved. 
Talking about issues and coming up with solutions. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And welcome back. TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what the others only say. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do here. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time and we must continue to call out the misinformation and the propaganda from the mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. So we're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to the tntradio.live website. And if you can make a small donation while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission into the future. And of course, the other thing you can do is get more people to listen, to tune in so we can wake people up because there are plenty of people out there. Believe me, some you'll never wake up. Don't even bother. But you know the ones on the fence, you need to do it. And you do that by getting them to tune in and they get to listen to wonderful people like my next guest. Her name is Elizabeth, uh, I'll try again, Elizabeth Hart. She's an independent person investigating the overuse of vaccine products and the conflicts of interest in vaccination policy. The ethical aspects of over-vaccination and especially mandated vaccination uh, are of course of particular interest to her. She's got a degree majoring in politics and philosophy and experience in the scientific literature that she's been searching. Elizabeth Hart, how are you going great thank you thanks for having me on again that's quite the impressive intro that you have and um just what you've been up to is absolutely terrific you and billy my last guest you know people out there like yourselves you know raising awareness and that's how we prevent these you know things from getting worse and certainly repeats of the last three or four years now the who you know they really do worry me i had reports from a a, a barrister in new zealand i mean even through their version of the freedom of information act couldn't get access to what they've got in plan for us and there they were you know asking people to put forward proposals on whether we should accept this or not not even knowing what was going to be in it you know how many amendments they put in and here they are now um how could they possibly please tell me how could they possibly support mandatory vaccination well that's what i found recently on the who website was a um a policy a who policy and and it supports mandatory vaccination it's very alarmed to find that and i'd actually gone on the website a few months ago and i'd popped in um informed consent vaccination at that time the result was no results which stunned me this is the world health organization and no results for such a major bedrock principle of medicine and it was just again i, I tried it again a few, a few weeks ago and this time it brought up this list of, of documents and one of them was a document that was supporting mandatory vaccination so this is very concerning because this organization wants to take us all over but the thing to think about here is that we're all worried about what's going to happen with the who and what have you but it's already happened it already happened around the world with COVID. We've already been subjected to mandatory vaccination where nearly everybody was, was forced to comply, if, particularly if they were trying to keep their livelihood and participate in civil society. It already happened in Australia. And what we should be doing now is addressing what actually happened, the major crime that happened in this country, and that was led by National Cabinet with Scott Morrison, the Premiers and the Chief Ministers. They rolled 
the chief medical officer in the HPBC, who had recommended against compulsory vaccination for aged care workers, this was in June 21, they'd recommended against it, but Scott Morrison wanted it, and National Cabinet. And they're the ones who got this ball rolling because when they pushed the AHPPC to, to, uh, to agree to this, it opened up the floodgates because you've, you've either got voluntary informed consent or you haven't. And once you drop it for one group, it's, it leaves an open slather for all of us. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Scott Morrison. He has to be one of the most Teflon-coded politicians that I've ever come across in my life. I mean, he he did all of that, assumed all of those cabinet positions, kept saying, oh, it's not us, we're not making you doing, do it. But he, he put in policies where the, he, he made the employers do the government's work or the media did it on his behalf. And there's the same guy, of course, now after the AUKUS deal, uh, he waited his 20 months, well, 18, he waited 20. Uh, and of course, he's going to profit significantly as part of the military industrial complex and their subsequent businesses now. So, I mean, the whole thing's horrific. It's got, you know, big pharma fingerprints all over it, big money. Um, the one thing that really scared me, the only thing that scared me during the pandemic was the thought that they could literally come to my house and forcibly vaccinate me and my family. And here they are now, people were saying they could never do that. But how many things happened to us over the last four years that we would have said five years ago they could never do that? Yeah, well, it's astonishing the things that happened. And that's why in 2020, when this was happening, we thought, where are the checks and balances? Because we were just effectively disenfranchised. We had no representation. We were sort of left by our own representatives. It was, it was astonishing what went on. And also the legal system, that, that this could happen, that we could be locked in our homes, they're made to wear masks, no freedom to do anything. It was, it's shocking. And now people are almost pretending it didn't happen. And we've got to remember what happened and bring people to account for what happened. Because particularly with the mandated vaccinations, that's the most shocking thing. If you haven't got personal autonomy and bodily integrity, you've got nothing. If you're living in a country where they can turn on you and say you won't be able to participate in society if you don't have these medical interventions, that's just as bad as it gets. But um, it's important now to look back on this because I've been working on this all the way through. And I'm finding now as I look back on this and putting things in perspective, and recently I prepared a timeline to show what happened with Morrison when he overruled the um, Paul Kelly and the HPPC. When this action took place, that opened up the floodgates for mandatory vaccination. But at the same time, I've been writing letters to the medical colleges and the AMA and APRA and I was, I was shouting for, for voluntary informed consent. This was before the mandates even came. I could see what was coming. And I was saying, you've got to get voluntary informed consent for these, for these vaccines, because I could see the pressure was going to really be put on the community to comply. Now, I got a letter from APRA on the 20th of September, 21, acknowledging that practitioners have to get voluntary informed consent for vaccination. And in that very same month, earlier in the month, uh, Daniel Andrews had said there's going to be a vaccinated economy and you've got to be vaccinated to participate in that economy. So the key thing here is the practitioners. How could the practitioners have gone along with mandates? We've got these cases that have gone off to fair work and what have you, cases against the employer. But what I'm arguing is that the case here is against the practitioner, that practitioners knew that people were coming before them under duress, under a mandate, and with them knowing that, they should have refused to, to be collaborate with this. They should have said, we can't do this because we know people are under coercion. 
And the people who were under coercion as well were the actual medical practitioners themselves. They had been under mandates for years for other vaccine products. And this is the big problem that practitioners themselves don't seem to understand voluntary informed consent for vaccination because they've been subjected to mandates. And this is what's really got to be exposed and, and talked about because it, it blew the whole thing up for the whole country that we've got to look at this now, that this is a, it's, it's like a sleeper issue. People have sort of gone through COVID now and think it's gone, but it hasn't because we know that the WHO and the vaccine industry has got plans for future so-called pandemics and, and they will want it, they'll want populations to exploit. We've got the vaccine man, uh, factories going in, in Melbourne and Queensland and they're all around the world. They're in, in the UK and Rwanda and South Africa and Canada. They're setting these factories up with the idea that they're going to have fodder to be putting these needles into. But now we've got to make sure that mandates never happen again so that people cannot be forced to have these injections. This is We've got to get people talking about this and we've got to make people accountable. Well, we, we talk about informed consent. The doctors weren't telling people what they needed to hear. The media certainly wasn't. The politicians weren't. Social media was about the only place where you could get any clue as to what might have been good for you and what may have been bad. And now we learn that only just last week, I think it was, over in France, they quietly passed a law where you can now go to jail if you speak out against gene therapy or mRNA uh, technology. That I could not believe. The only thing I'd ever seen come close to that was some of the Holocaust denial uh, laws that they had in Germany. And now they've got basically the same thing for mRNA technology. That tells you something, doesn't it? Really does tell you something. And I would strongly expect to see those laws repeated elsewhere imminently. Well, I think that's got to be looked at very closely just to make sure it's being interpreted the, the correct way. But it does seem very alarming. We've got to look, look into that. But we've just got to, this is very simple. As far as I'm concerned, this is really simple. We don't need to make this complicated. There has to be voluntary informed consent before medical interventions, and that includes vaccination. What we're dealing with now is that we've had almost the entire country, or the entire country has been subjected to coercion. Everybody's been subjected to coercion. Many people have had to submit to the injections to keep their jobs and to participate in society. This is a major crime that has happened and it's got to be addressed. It's, there's no valid consent. As far as I'm concerned, there is no valid consent. The practitioners are not experts in this area. They're not experts in COVID. They're not experts in COVID vaccines. They, I don't think that they were qualified to be giving this medical intervention. I certainly don't think they were capable of getting voluntary informed consent. And you simply cannot get voluntary informed consent under coercion or under a mandate. That's how simple this is. And yet it's happened in Australia. So looking at this timeline, I said I got that letter out of Artbra in September 21. I got another letter from the Australian government in November 22, confirming that yes, informed consent has to be obtained for the COVID vaccinations, just like any other vaccination. Now, I would argue that for no vaccination is voluntary informed consent being obtained because nobody's been properly informed. This has become a rote medical procedure on mass populations. This is not people going to doctors with a specific problem for themselves. They're just being called in like a herd to be get to be injected like this, and people are not really aware of what, what's going on. And we've got to blow this, this up but it's our, our problem is that all our institutions are captured. The politicians are, are, are on board with this whole agenda. The institutions have been captured. How do we get this talked about? And so I just keep writing my letters and what have you 
to say, I'm, I'm trying to make you people accountable because what you've done is you have trashed voluntary informed consent. You have trashed people's freedom to make a decision about these medical products. If something goes wrong with these products and it comes out in a few years, there's something significantly wrong with these products. You know, it's going to be very, very grim indeed because nobody is given valid consent. And the people we've got to really focus on are the medical practitioners themselves because they have violated voluntary informed consent. They are the ones who should have led on this. They are the ones who should have jumped up and said, we cannot do this under mandates. But instead, we've had the chief medical officer of the country and the HPPC. They are the ones who and led on this. Elizabeth, I could, not, I could not agree more. We've got about eight seconds to go. Elizabeth Hart, I thank you so much. Everybody, check her out, elizabethhart.substack.com. Dot com, a bunch of terrific articles. I've got to go. We've got Rick and Darren coming up then after that. Rick by himself, Sonia, then Abby Roberts. I'll be back tomorrow here at TNT.